happened. So I'm going to be speaking about life in the Spirit and um, finding out what that means for us. Um, well, where was I? I guess for me, like many of you, I don't know what your church experience is. Some of you maybe no church experience at all, kind of when you came to faith. Um, as many of you here, parts of Matt's now, my, my church experience was eclectic, to put it mildly. I grew up in doing all sorts of different styles of church that I'm very thankful for. They were really helpful, taught me a lot about a love about people and God's word and stuff like that. But when it came to the Holy Spirit, that was a big blank. It was Father, Son, and Holy Word, maybe. Father, Son, and... No one's quite sure what the Holy Spirit was, who he was, and no one in the churches I grew up in ever really talked about him. Which is a bit of a strange thing if we recognize that he is part of the... If if he is God, he's part of the Trinity. If you actually think about it, the fact that the churches that I grew up in, which were good, godly churches never really spoke about the Holy Spirit. That is a strange thing. It's a bit like having three children, but one of them you don't really ever talk about. Now, I don't know which of my three children you might be thinking about. All right, Sam. All right, Joey. Um, (laughs) It would just be a bit odd, wouldn't it? I mean, people would kind of think that's just a bit strange. You don't talk about one of your children. Why? Uh, But actually, that is what church often is like. People don't really talk about the Holy Spirit because they don't feel comfortable talking about it because they don't really know what to say. And yet the Bible, from beginning to end is saturated with talk of the Holy Spirit. And not this vague force thing, but a person. You know, you can grieve the Holy Spirit. Jesus talks about that, that. That you can welcome the Holy Spirit. That you can hear the Holy Spirit. You can be led by the Holy Spirit. You can be guided by the Holy Spirit. All of those things sound quite important. And so therefore, up to the age of 17, <laughs> when I grew up in church, really good churches, to have no teaching, understanding, or kind of talk about the Holy Spirit is really strange. It's like the gift of tongues. Controversial in some churches. So in the churches that I grew up in, a Baptist church, United Reformed Church, and an Anglican church of different types, that's quite a lot of different, no one ever spoke about gifts of the Spirit or the gift of tongues. It's like, you just don't go there, don't talk about that. But there's actually more in the Bible about the gift of tongues than there is about communion and breaking bread together. Hmm, that's a bit odd then, isn't it, that we don't talk about those things or gifts of the Spirit. Paul, the Apostle Paul, the amazing Apostle Paul, who kind of the churches I grew up in, lauded him as an incredible man of God and someone to pursue and a holy and a, you know, an apostle, apostle of apostles, the man, the man who we need to listen to. He's a man full of wisdom, sent by God, sent by Jesus to, to minister to the Gentiles, to non-Jews, to us, to speak truth and wisdom to us. We should listen to him, yeah? He said, eagerly desire spiritual gifts. Paul did. I spent 17 years not having a clue what spiritual gifts are because no one told me to eagerly desire them because it was a bit of the Bible we didn't really look at. Let's move on to that and talk about being good and holy. We can cope with that. But Paul said, eagerly desire spiritual gifts. So if I'm honest, I'm not angry about it, but I'm perplexed that for 17 years of my life growing up in really good churches, no one ever told me about the Holy Spirit. So when I encountered the Holy Spirit, it came as a bit of a shock because I suddenly discovered that it was a person. He was a person. He had personality. And boy, did he have power, proper power. And my goodness, don't we live in days where we need power? You know, we can talk a good talk and we can have lovely buildings and we can make worship sound nice and we can have a love of the Bible. But if we don't have power, then I would suggest we're really screwed as a church. And I don't think Jesus came to establish a church that was powerless. 
He wanted a church to transform the world. We're told to bring his kingdom, you know, to pray, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done. When Jesus was on earth and his kingdom came, what sort of things happened? This is your church chance to participate, church. When Jesus came and his kingdom came, what happened? Healings. Miracles. This side of the, this side of the room is so enthusiastic, full of life. Miracles, healings, and deliverance. People set free from things that kind of locked them down. Think of that, 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 that kind of gathering demoniac, the one who was locked and in the tombs, who was kind of bound up and he'd been put outside the city and he was violent and he was chained up and he kept breaking his chains. And when Jesus came to him, spoke the word, he was set free in an instant. That's proper deliverance, isn't it? Love that story. What other things? Pretty much covers it a lot of that, doesn't it, really? Outrageous miracles. Feeding of the 5,000, walking on water, storms being stopped, supernatural kind of events that change weather. People who were blind seeing, people who were lame getting up and walking, people who had kind of terrible skin diseases healed in a moment, people who were kind of mute, being able to speak. Outrageous miracles, miracles of provision, miracles of breakthrough, miracles. That's the kingdom coming. So has the kingdom changed? If that's the kingdom, because Jesus said, you know, where, where the kingdom is, that's where the finger of God is touching stuff. Why don't we see that? Well, I'd suggest we do see it if we've got eyes to see it. And it does happen a lot still. You know, as you know, Sarah was out in India and she saw a woman there who was blind receive her sight back. She was an elderly lady. She hadn't ever seen her grandchild. In, her granddaughter was about 13, 14 years old. She'd never seen her. And this little group came and, and preached in the village and many came, became Christians and this woman got her sight back. I know many in this room can talk about miracles they've seen and small, big miracles doesn't really matter about the size or the magnitude of it. But we need that power, not because there's anything intrinsically about those things, but they're signs and wonders. And what do they point at? They point at Jesus and they give glory to him. They give glory to the truth that there is a God who's there. So we need power. And didn't Jesus say that to the disciples? You'll receive Tesco points. You'll receive a lovely, fluffy feeling in your tummy when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. Witnesses who are powerful are far better witnesses, I would suggest. And it was always God's intention for his church to be powerful. Not in a dominant, overbearing kind of way, but in a power within. We need power within in the days that we live. The challenges that we face, the pressures we're under. And actually, across the world, there is, God is still doing amazing things. But it's a challenge for us, isn't it? Because no one ever told me about the Holy Spirit. No one ever told me that actually that power was still available for us today. And we struggle with the mystery of God. And maybe this is one of the reasons people struggle talking about him. Because how do we talk about the Holy Spirit? Particularly if we haven't experienced, you can only share what you've experienced. And many of those good and godly leaders who I was part of, would say they believe in the Holy Spirit, but perhaps their experience of him was limited, so they struggled to know what it was, what he was going to be like, and so they found it hard to teach us. And we struggle with the mystery of God. It's hard enough to understand God the Father and God the Son, but what about the Holy Spirit? When I grew up in church, he was called the Holy Ghost. 
which kind of made him sound like he was out of Scooby-Doo, if I'm honest, when I grew up. So I had no idea what he was like really at all. And we have different images of him through scripture. Uh, you can shout them out. Let's make this really interactive. Some of the images of the Holy Spirit in scripture, what do you think they might be? Dove, very good. Good to see this side of the room operating again. Dove, yeah. Tongues of fire, wind, water, fire. Oh, Gordon's on a roll now. Yeah, they're kind of physical things, aren't they? And you, I love the, the pictures you often see of the, uh, of the um, Pentecost, kind of medieval paintings. You have these little, little like um, flames, little, little light bulbs above the disciples when tongues of fire land on the head. I don't know what that was like. But fire, wind, water, oil, physical, tangible symbols that often helps understand the nature of the Holy Spirit and what he's like. He's not those things, but those things help us understand what he is and sometimes how he kind of appears to us. So this is a slight aside, but I was thinking it during the worship when, when Victoria shared what she shared and when we were singing that song, Your Love Never Fails, It Never Gives Up, It Never Runs Out on Me. You know, and it's a kind of a fun song and it was kind of really in a few years ago, wasn't it? And we could sing it, yeah, it's good, it's got a good refrain to it. But it is true which is the only reason I sing it. His love never fails. And love in this world often fails. Love in relationships often fails. Love between parents and siblings often fails, even between friends. Or it gets thin. But God's love never fails. Never runs out on us. It's a bit of an Americanism, but we know what we're saying in that song. Um, It always kind of keeps reaching out for us. That's what true love does. And I was thinking, as I was singing it, uh, lots of my brain's doing about a million things at a time when I'm in worship usually, but I was thinking about Peter as I prayed. You know, that thing where he he really blew it. Uh, No, Jesus, I'll never let you down, Jesus. Oh, if they all might might abandon you, but I'll be there. Yeah, good one, Peter. And he's the one, of course, who denies Jesus three times. And the shame of that must have been intense for him, particularly given his big mouth and everything that he'd said. It must have been awful cock crows three times and he thinks crap I've done it and their eyes in one of the gospel accounts it shows that Jesus their eyes meet across the courtyard as he denies him what an awful moment that must have been for, for Peter and yet Jesus seeks him out and that is the heart of God to seek us out to seek and save that which was lost and I want to suggest to you that is what the Holy Spirit is desperate to do in your and my life to seek out those things that God has put within us that sometimes get lost, like lost treasures, those promises over you, that destiny over you. The Holy Spirit wants to help find what you were made for and give you the power to do it and to be it. And it's never too late. It's never too late. It doesn't matter how much you've blown it. Jesus shows that with Peter. And while I was thinking about that, I was also thinking in parallel about, and I know that most you know, most ladies think that men can't do two things at the same time. But in the worship song, I was. I was thinking about this other thing. There was a ceremony of shame. I found out about this recently. You know the story of the prodigal son, which is one of my favorite stories. Uh, so you know the story. The son goes off, abandons his father, basically says, I wish you were dead. I'd like my inheritance now. The father reluctantly gives him his money. He goes off and he squanders it. He blows it. And he ends up in a, a pigsty, literally wanting to eat pig food. Now, we don't really, that's bad, right? We know that's bad. But of course, for Jews, that is just the worst. Unclean animals. He's not only with them, but he's wanting to eat their food. It's the worst of the worst of the worst of the worst. It's unimaginable. It's disgusting. It's so far away from God. 
and then he comes back preparing his speech. He realizes, man, at least my, my father's servants are being fed. I should go home. I don't deserve anything, but at least I could go home and be a servant. So he's preparing his speech and he's walking with his head low. And we know the story. The father's looking, sees him in the distance, and he runs to him. And you've often heard it said that, that, that for a father to run, for a man, to, a kind of Jewish father to run, to hoik up the skirt and run, is kind of a bit of a shocking thing to do. But there's more to it than that. And I discovered this recently. In Jewish society at the time, there's, there's a thing called the Kezazah Ceremony of Shame. You may have heard of this. I only found out about it recently. If a son left a family and discredited the father and the family name, th- there was this whole ceremony that when they eventually came back, because kids often do, when they came back, the, the, the family... And the whole community would meet them at the gate before they arrived back at the city. And they would take this beautiful large pot and they would throw it on the floor and it would shatter. And it was to symbolize that that relationship and the relationship with God, because they'd ended up you know, going away from the family, dishonoring the family and therefore dishonoring God, that that relationship was irre- irrevocably destroyed. In the same way that this pot is now shattered in a public arena where everyone can see it, you look at those shards of smashed pottery, that is your future because there is no way back. This pot cannot be put back together. What you have done has brought so much shame on you that now as a Jew, you're going to be treated as a Gentile, an outsider, an outcast, not welcome in, not welcome to worship, not welcome back into the family. And so this ceremony of shame would happen publicly and the whole family would gather smash the pot on the outside of the city when the, when, the, when the person comes back. And that is why the father goes running. Because he wants to get to the son before the ceremony of shame happens. And not only that, what does he do? He doesn't want the son to experience shame. So he lifts up his skirt and he runs, which brings shame on himself. And for a Jewish, Jewish leader, a rabbi, a father... That literally would be shameful. You never expose your legs. You never bare your legs. So the father's saying, you know what? Instead of you experiencing that public shame, I'm going to take it. I'm going to be shamed so that you don't have to. That's the nature of the gospel. God doesn't want you to have shame. Whatever your past, he will run to you to remove the scar of that shame so that you don't have to experience that kezza's a ceremony, that shaming he will take the shame on himself. And that is the nature of the Holy Spirit. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your and my life. We have lots of shame. We have lots of brokenness. What is his desire? His desire, the Holy Spirit's greatest longing is to bring you back into full relationship with the Father. When the Father runs to the Son, totally undeserved, it's mercy, isn't it? Mercy. He doesn't get what he deserves. Instead, he gets grace. Grace is what you don't deserve. But that's what he gets. And the father puts a cloak around him and a ring on his finger. He lavishly pours out his grace and his mercy on this repentant son. And the Holy Spirit wants to do that for you and me. Whatever our background, whatever our history, whatever our successes, whatever our failure, he wants to help restore us to right relationship with the father so we can experience the father's blessing, to receive his gifts, to receive his mantle, his anointing, to receive gifts, the ring, the cloak. 
That's what the Holy Spirit wants to do. And we know that because that's what it says in Romans. It's all about relationship. It's all about what he wants to do in us and through us. Those who are led by the Spirit are children of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave, again, to fear. Fear of being cast out, fear of being rejected, fear of being alone, fear of the future, fear of supernatural stuff, fear of brokenness. He doesn't, he doesn't, the Holy Spirit doesn't come to, help to, to give you that. You don't receive those things. But through the Holy Spirit, you receive the spirit of adoption. And by him, we cry, Abba, Father. So it's the Holy Spirit that helps you cry out, Abba. And we've said it before, but that word literally in Aramaic kind of means Papa, Daddy. That's the level of intimacy and relationship that God wants to bring to you. So here's my question, and you're going to get into some groups to discuss this. I could go on about teaching about the Holy Spirit all day, but I'm not going to. Do you know the Holy Spirit like that? I didn't, like properly, hardcore didn't. And because I hadn't experienced the Holy Spirit, I don't think I really knew Abba. Because I hadn't allowed the Holy Spirit to help me encounter Father in that way. Now we're on a journey, so that's a constant unfolding. But my suggestion is that that's what the Holy Spirit's primary longing in your life is. Yes, he wants you to be fruitful. Yes, he wants to give you gifts of the Spirit. And that may be supernatural gifts. And he wants you to be filled with power. But his primary, deepest, first longing is that you know the Father and you can cry out, Papa, Abba, in a relational way, not a Heavenly Father kind of way, but in a real personal way. And that's what he wants to do. So I've got some questions. I'm going to shut up and I'm going to get you to do some discussions in groups and to have a little talk about this. How does it make you feel when people talk about the Holy Spirit? What's your thoughts of the Holy Spirit? What's your experience of the Holy Spirit? What would you like to do with and for the Holy Spirit? Here's some questions. You can use these or not. So if you get into groups of about five, six, feel free to mix up a bit or stay where you are. Be honest. Be really, really honest. That's the whole point of this, to share your experience and your challenges. Go. Find yourself in a lovely group. That group's already in a beautiful circle. Look at them. Look at them. What a beautiful example. Uh, Feel free to move around. Feel free to put the heating on. Looks like (laughs) only just started on this uh, kind of one. So I don't know what your experience of the Holy Spirit is or has been or your church experience of the Holy Spirit. As we were just chatting at the back, I was reflecting uh, just the deep sadness in me that often our theology is shaped by our experience. That's, That's really the truth of it, certainly in terms of church. My church experience as I grew up in the kind of traditional Baptist church uh, and then a United Reformed church and then a kind of, kind of <laughs> village Anglican church, the theology there or the practice of the theology of the Holy Spirit was basically embedded in the experience of the people in that church. If for years and years and years you don't see God doing any miracles and you don't see any evidence of kind of the presence of God, the tangible presence of God, you don't see healings, you don't see miracles, you don't see people kind of speaking in tongues and no one talks about it. If after a while no one talks about it and no one experiences it, then you, your theology has to kind of fit that context. So you start saying, well, maybe God doesn't do that anymore. Perhaps that stuff ended with the early church. And actually, of course, there is a stream of theology that has said that. Except that, if you look at church history, that just isn't true. I mean, it just isn't 
true, and you have to take my word for that, or even better, go and research yourself. It just is not true. So don't think that the charismatic renewal is something that kind of didn't happen for 2,000 years and then started again in the 1970s or with kind of Toronto. No, 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 no. Go back to the early medieval church, and you can read stories, incredible stories of healings, of miraculous stuff. You go and read about the Hebridean revivals uh, that happened up in the north of Scotland. You go and read about the Welsh revivals back in the whenever that was, 20s, 1800s. 1900s, when you read about some of the, 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 the miraculous stuff that's been happening out in Asia, uh, out in China, the underground church, right the way from the moment when Jesus started the church at Pentecost, when the church was birthed on those disciples, right the way through church history, God has not stopped moving. He might stop moving sometimes in our own context, but across Asia, through South America, through Europe, through the medieval period, through loads of churches, back to the 1700s, the 1800s, the 1900s, 20th century. Miraculous things have been happening. The church of God has been seeing miracles. Because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And his Holy Spirit hasn't stopped working. The reason I'm saying that is because I'm urging us all to say, Lord, may we experience your power in our days, in our lives, in our marriages, in our circumstances, in our workplaces. If the Holy Spirit wants to help you in your workplace be more the person you're supposed to be, then we need to say, yes, Lord, please, whatever that takes, more of your power. This isn't about falling over or speaking tongues. Those things might happen, but it's not about that. It's about becoming the person that God intended you to be, filled with his breath to sustain you in life. And that's an exciting thing, and we should want more of that. So therefore, we should be saying, Lord, will you fill me with your Holy Spirit today? Will you help me, Holy Spirit, understand more of the Father's love for me so that I can understand what it means to be a son or a daughter of God? If that's what your purpose is, to help me truly know the Father better, more intimately, to have my shame lifted off so that I can become the person you want me to be, that's got to be a good thing. So we need more of the Holy Spirit in these days. And that's why as a church, one of our foundations is to say, We need to experience his presence. We need to experience his power. We need to experience his breakthrough. And that's true for all of us. When I was 17 and I first experienced the power of the Holy Spirit, it came as a real shock because I had no framework to put it in because my church experience up to that had been Father, Son, and Holy. So when I experienced the power of the Holy Spirit, when I spoke in tongues for the first time, I'd never heard anyone do that. When I experienced that, and many others here could testify to that, I then had to go back to the Bible and say, oh, well, what does the Bible say about this? And begun to learn. And that's an ongoing experience. It's not just once. We need more of God's filling in the same way that we need to drink daily. Julie, uh, recently when she was sharing about her experience of the Holy Spirit at Pastorate, talked about us being like sails where the breath of God is blowing and he wants to fill us. It's a really helpful image. Sometimes sails, if they're not fixed and anchored they just flap about in the window don't they so we need to be anchored Christ wants to anchor us so that when the breath of God comes to fill us there's a movement that takes us to where he wants us to go so that's kind of the journey we're on and um, you know we'll continue to talk about that but that's why we have prayer ministry that's why we pray in life hubs that's what our expectation is for us to encounter the reality of God through the power of the Holy Spirit And so I'm going to pray for us to close, and then we're going to eat some food, which is always really, really good. But if you're hungry for more than just bread and water, although we might have some other things as well, then you can come back tonight, because tonight we're just going to worship as a band. James and a band are going to lead us in worship, and we're just going to pray and see what the Holy Spirit wants to do. 
So it'll be a shorter meeting than normal, but back here at half five, we've not got cafe. We're going to kick straight into worship and prayer ministry. If, you, if you've got words of knowledge, five o'clock, what did I say? It's so good to check you were actually all listening. Well done. Um, five o'clock, then we're going we're gonna to just do that and see. It'll be a shorter meeting tonight, no doubt, um, but we want to be able to pray. There's going to be a prayer ministry team coming to so just be available to pray with us. It should be fun because it's supposed to be fun with the Holy Spirit. It's not a heavy thing. It's a ah thing. So if you want a ah thing, then come tonight and we'll pray for you. And uh, we can all receive together. That's a theological term, in case you're wondering. I'm going to pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Father, we thank you that your desire is to remove the yoke of shame from us. And Lord, often in our past, we have got shame. We've got things that we regret. We've got things where we have denied you, Jesus, where we haven't done the things that you've wanted us to do, where we've failed in relationships, where we've failed to honor you. But Lord, you don't want us to be yoked and slaves to that. We're not supposed to be slaves to fear. But you want us to be able to cry out, Abba, Papa, Father. And Holy Spirit, you help us to know who we are, that we're loved by you. Because you are the good, good Father. That's who you are. And we're loved by you. That's who I am. So Holy Spirit, we give you free reign in our hearts and lives to help us to become the people that you intend for us. To become free. To become full of hope to walk into the destiny and purpose you have for us. We want to be fruitful. We want to be bearing the fruit of the, of the Spirit. And we want to be filled so that we can receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit and that we can be powerful. Lord, not by might, not by our own power, but by the Holy Spirit, empowered to be your witnesses, fruitful to bring you glory, bearing much fruit so that you're always glorified, Jesus. So Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, have your way in our lives, we pray. We give our hearts and our lives to you. And for those of us that struggle in our head to know, well, how do I receive? What's that about? Holy Spirit, thank you that you're the, you're the paraclete, you're the helper that helps us in those areas. So in our areas of weakness, will you help us, Lord? Have your way, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.